So, approaching 7.35, let me just give you a quick reminder. Last Thursday, the Finance Ministry announced a series of policies to boost sluggish domestic consumption. One of the most controversial among them, the plan to designate a family Friday once a month and let workers get off two hours early at 4pm. The government said it can be done by working 30 minutes extra through Monday to Thursday. So you're not actually getting any more time off work. It's just a a reshuffle, if you like. Let's bring in Professor Kim Sung-hyun from sung Kwan University, Department of Economics. Good morning. Good morning, Alex. Um, so we are seeing some very critical comments about this plan so far. What's your opinion? Um, I'm also very critical on this. I, I see that government um, is desperate, but um, not this way. How effective could this plan be, do you think? Obviously, if you're critical, I suppose you're not going to be handing out any awards for it, but uh, is there a possibility of success? Well, um, even if there's any positive effects, I think it's going to be only marginal and temporary. Uh, the, the main purpose of this policy is to boost private consumption, as you said. I think in order to uh, restore the consumption spending, we first need to find out the source of sluggish consumption, then prescribe the right policy. The, the decline in consumption is caused directly by a decline in income, not by time to use for consumption activities. For example, um, if, we, if, we, if we divide the income distribution by the quantile, the largest decline in income comes from the bottom 20% in income profile. And these are uh, workers who want to use any extra time to work, not for other consumption activities. Mm. So, so time is not going to be their incentive to spend. Money is the one. Yeah, well, local media quote office workers are saying they like money, not time. That if they had two hours extra, they'd probably just rest. And as you suggest, those in a low-income bracket would probably use that time to work. Let me ask our listeners, what would you do with two extra hours? Let's forget the 30 minutes extra on the other days. Just say you had two extra hours on a Friday. Uh, what would you do with those? Pound a sharp, 1013 for 51 per message. Professor Kim, the other issue here, that Koreans already work the second longest hours among OECD nations... Is it naive to come at this by looking at a Friday solution once a month? It's, uh, it's, it's very hard to change the work culture in a short-term period. Um, and on top of that, there can be two, two other issues. Uh, first one is the enforceability. The government simply cannot force private companies to you know, alter the work schedule as government wishes. And the second one is the effectiveness. Um, in changing world culture. As I said, it, it takes a long time and coordinated efforts to change that, not just simple policy like this. We spoke recently on the show, and it certainly does call to mind Japan's Premium Friday, where the government there encourages workers already to leave the office at 3 p.m. once a month, again on a Friday. How has that plan turned out, do you think? Uh I uh, looked at the newspaper articles, and there has been a very similar criticism in Japan's Premium Friday. Uh, they say it's not going to be as effective as they originally intended. Um, and, you know, the culture, especially the work culture in Japan, is very similar to Korea. Mm. Uh, so uh, there has been criticism there. What do you think is the key to getting rid of 
overwork. I, and, and I guess we have to remember that this government policy is aimed at boosting consumption, not just dealing with overwork. But it does seem the latter is a major issue that we need to be challenging. Well, over time, uh, I think it's desirable to, cha- to change the work culture, especially the overwork culture in Korea. But as I said, uh, it, it involves not just changing um, uh, and culture and company, but it also changes in um, you know education structure, population profile, and job market flexibility. So it requires a coordinated reform in many policy fronts. But you know, more fundamentally. This is not the right time to focus on this issue. There are, you know, so many people out there who would appreciate to just work, not to mention overwork. Is there also a danger that we're viewing this as an economy on the big picture without considering the big difference between Tebol, the conglomerates, and the many SMEs that might struggle to just implement these kinds of policies? Uh the, one of the biggest issues in labor market is the wage gap, uh, as you said, between the Jebel and small companies. And these small companies, they have no luxury to worry about these work ethics or work uh, overwork issues. It's, uh, it's, it's been a serious problem these days. Professor Kim, thank you so much um, for joining us today. We're going to get an international view on this in just a moment. But um, again, I welcome listener interaction on this, um, Professor Kim Sung Hyun of Sungkyun Kwan University, good to have you on the line. Uh, Pounder Sharp 1013 for 51 per message. Again, our text message number if you want to get involved from wherever your background is, because now we can welcome Professor Kimberly Elsbach from the Graduate School of Management at the University of California, Davis. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, and, and we have seen abroad the growing subject of flexible working hours, which is a little different, but, but comes into play here, this idea of you know, being at least flexible on a Friday once a month. What's the impact been abroad of flexible working hours and employees' productivity? Well, it's very, very hard to know exactly what the effects are on productivity. Um, There was a a report put out in 2013, a survey on workplace uh, flexibility by World at Work, and that, um, that survey asked that question about productivity and that found that almost everybody said it's too difficult to um, calculate the effect on productivity and that almost, I think it was 4% out of the 90, out of the um, over 400 companies that were surveyed tried to calculate an ROI of employee flexibility plans. What they do do is they get survey responses from the employees on how uh, flexible work translates into satisfaction, motivation, and engagement and work. And those results are very positive. Uh, Probably three-quarters of employees say they're more satisfied when they have um, flexible work plans. And around two-thirds say they're also more motivated and and engaged in their work. Um, So those... um, those outcomes are, are very positive. The actual ROI impact is, is really unknown. Can I just ask you briefly, though, what you think about this idea of having one Friday a month where you, where you leave a couple of hours early, but you actually just add half an hour a day through Monday to Thursday so that you're not necessarily getting more time off? 
and yeah. and obviously there's not really personal choice there in choosing the day of the week that suits you best. Well, I think employees like control. So having more control over um, your work life is what they like. If you're if you're just moving around the hours without giving them control, I'm not sure how much um, of an improvement that would be, um, because. Obviously, for for some employees, that might be great. For others, it might actually be more inconvenient, um, given what they've got going um, at home with childcare, with, with other responsibilities. Um, so, I think if you're if you're just moving hours of work around without the added flexibility that goes with being able to choose when those hours are, uh, you're probably not going to get. Um, a lot of buy-in from employees. Do, do you also have a natural scepticism when governments try to impose these plans very obviously aimed at boosting consumption rather than focusing on people's work-life balance? Um, yeah, I think... So what do you, what do you mean in increasing consumption? Just Well, that, um, I mean, that's the uh, root of this attempted policy here in South Korea is by giving people more time off on a Friday, for example, they'll go out and spend it with their families. I see. Yes. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it may happen anyway, but um, I, I think that that would that would probably lead to um, some suspicion of the program and and less buy-in to the program mm. if they thought there was an ulterior motive for it. Um, Really, my work has, has not focused so much on, you know, sort of the, the economic consequences of flex time and more yeah. on things like creativity and motivation and things like that. Yeah, no, I understand. I think it's quite useful for us all to ask ourselves, though, um, what encourages us to spend more um, when, when we're approaching a subject like this because that's, I guess, how the government should be trying to think if it's looking to solve this problem at a macro level. But um, you have studied this question of showing your face matters in many workplaces. Can you tell yeah. us more about the concept of FaceTime yeah. bias? FaceTime, yeah. There's something we call a, a FaceTime bias. And one of the things we discovered was that... Um, this is a, an unintended negative consequence of telecommuting and other flex time options that take people out of the formal workplace. Um, what we found is that people have an unconscious attribution of dedication, um, commitment, reliability, and dependability, those four traits that they ascribe to people who they see more often at work. They don't have to interact with them. They don't have to know anything about what they're doing. Um, in fact, we call this passive FaceTime because it's merely being seen at work. Leads um, people to perceive you as more dependable, reliable, mm. dedicated, and committed. And worse, that those attributions are very unconscious. So the, the people who are perceiving them don't really know they're doing this, but when it comes time to make a performance evaluation or a promotion decision, those unconscious biases play a large role in who gets moved up and who doesn't. Um, and so just not being seen at work as often can be um, a handicap for people who are competing for promotions against those who are more often in the workplace. Uh, and, I mean, in conclusion, 
we also see gender discrimination abroad along these lines. I guess the perception that, that women or mothers have to be more flexible with their hours. Uh, also, top-tier workers seem to be benefiting more from flexi-time systems. Um, how can we make the whole system more approachable if we truly want to adopt it here? Yeah, I, for, for me, um, and what we've suggested in all the articles we've written, is that you have to make performance evaluation as objective as possible and take out what we call subjective trait um, evaluations. So things like, is she a good team player? Is he um, uh, engaged in, you know, sort of social um, responsibility at work? Is he a good citizen? Is she um, a good citizen? Those kinds of subjective trait evaluations, which, by the way, are included in 90% of all performance evaluations, are the places where these biases, especially these unconscious biases, work against you. Right. And so Something you can change your evaluation to be based on sort of objective outputs. How much did you do? Those things go away. Definitely something for us to consider. And thank you so much for joining us on the line today, Professor Elsbach. You're welcome. Kimberly Elsbach out of UC Davis. You can also get in touch anytime for free on Twitter at EFM this morning. I think it's helpful, as I said before, to ask this question from a personal perspective, and you're free to share your answer with us.